well, welcome to the very first episode of our much-awaited Women's Day special podcast series, Alpha Females in Procurement, The Lone Road to Leadership. As you already know, this series is going to be a note to the women trailblazers in the procurement field. I am Elaine, your favorite host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to our very first guest of the series, Susan Spence, Vice President Sourcing Procurement at FedEx Corporation. So listeners, get ready to hear women's perspective on the procurement challenge. And I have a disclaimer for you. Fasten your seatbelt for some hard-hitting, thought-provoking revelation. What or who make it so hard for women to break the glass ceiling and tips from the horse mouth? How to smash those barriers to forge ahead. Okay, welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. All right, Susan, let's dive right in. You have an impressive career in procurement, and I'm sure that our listeners are eager to hear about your journey. So here is my first question. What was the biggest challenge you faced in your journey to reach a leadership position in procurement, and how did you overcome it? Uh, my biggest challenge was to distinguish myself as a standout. There were, um, I started in the aerospace industry, not a lot of women, of course, um, but there were a lot of buyers, which is what we called them in the day. Um, so how, how to be recognized as a standout to get a chance at a leadership position? Um, it took me a few years to figure it out. Of course, hard work and, you know, um, maybe going the extra mile just because, you know, I always felt like I needed to, to, uh, I was a non-technical female in a technical environment, but, um, what I decided to do, it was about um, seven years into my career. And interestingly enough, the decision I took was when I was about eight months pregnant with my first daughter, who's now 29. Um, I decided to distinguish myself by trying for a leadership rotation program that was very selective. The year I was selected for it, there were 300 applicants and seven of us chosen. Um, I, it happened to be bad timing with having your first child and trying to figure that out as a working female. But um, by eight months pregnant, I couldn't figure out if I was going to even be a good mom or know how to be a working mom. So I figured there was nothing to lose. Uh, and I uh, walked into our director's office right before maternity leave and said, please don't forget about me. I really want a chance at being in this rotational program. And, and um, frankly, because I did that, plus I had a pretty good track record by then. Um, the folks were impressed that, you know, in your eighth month of pregnancy, when you're trying to figure out how to be a working mother, that you still are work-minded. Um, so I had this baby, wonderful baby. I came back to work three months later and had made up my mind, there is no way I'm going to put that kind of pressure on myself, being in this rotational program where every six months you moved around and you've got a real job to do. Um, Good Lord, you know, who knows if I can even get up in the morning having been kept up by the baby all night. Um, the advice I got was, you better do it. You've been talking about it for now. And what do you have to lose? And so I did it. It was wonderful. I did three of the four rotations, uh, finance. I was a shop floor supervisor in an aerospace factory. And then I was in, uh, I was an HR advisor. That was special fun. And then the fourth rotation, I was pregnant again with my second but what I learned was that um, there was no, never going to be a perfect time. And as I'm trying to figure out how to be this working mom at the same time, you know, I had nothing to lose. There was a little bit of, it wasn't naivety, but it was a little bit of, there's nothing to lose. What's the worst that can happen? 
And that has replayed several times in my life. So the challenge was distinguishing myself. I did it by saying, you know what? There's never a perfect time. I'm going to dive in and do the best I can. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And if it does, I'll be on my way. So out of that program, I got my first leadership role. So it was the right, it was the right choice. Interesting. Uh, it's funny what you say about, you know, trying to figure out um, you're being a new mom and at the same time you wrote to leadership because this, this is the tricky thing is that this at the same time. I mean, you got your first children in your late 20s, early 30s, and that's the moment where your career start to take off. And, and, and that's why it's hard. And to be honest, we're not really helped by, uh, you know, you know the, the rest of the leadership and, and so on. So this is, a, uh, this, is, this is one of, I think, the toughest challenge as a woman in being in procurement or, or, or any other field, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think this is one part of a, let's say, a burden, a happy one, but a burden nonetheless. Uh, let's move on to kind of a new, our next question. How did you handle being one of the few women in your field? And what strategies did you use to build relationship with your male peers and colleagues? So um, the year I was hired, um, I would say the procurement department at the aerospace firm I was at was probably 10% women. The 10% women, uh, at least half of them came from the secretarial ranks. And I was one of the first hired in a while directly from college versus coming up through the organization as a secretary. Um, throughout my college career, uh, in college, it was I was a liberal arts major. I was economics and political science. It was pretty split 50-50. But from the moment I stepped into work, I was one of the only females. And I knew nothing else. Um, and so, you know, dealing with a male-oriented environment, I, I don't think I thought about it very much because it's just the way it was. So I was in a technical environment in a traditional group that was 90% male. And so I kind of, um, I just forgot about it and ignored it, right? Um, I am sure that, that, there was some unconscious bias or conscious bias going on. I just, I just didn't pay attention to it because, you know, I wanted to earn the most money I could for my family. Right. I wanted to have kids. This was five years before I had kids. And again, in a technical environment, I figured, you know what, I'm not paying attention to that gender thing. I got my hands full, just trying to compete with these people. I mean, we're buying flight safety hardware. And I got to learn the technical piece because I don't want to make a mistake and hurt somebody because the plane falls out of the sky. That was what was on my mind. So I just observed, learned, and I was that annoying person that asked a ton of questions because I didn't know. And so I just wanted to. And what was, what happened, what I didn't realize so much later is because I was one of the only few females and oh my goodness, she knows how to buy flight safety hardware, we don't have to just let her buy pens and pencils, which is what the other women were given, you know, only because there was a bias against, well, you know, you can't give them anything too technical. But because I succeeded in that, because I worked extra hard to understand, I, I didn't know how to read a blueprint, but I had to figure it out, right? Um, then I stood out naturally because there was no expectation that a female buyer in 1986 could do anything more than buy indirect, right? Yeah. Uh, that was their bias. I didn't know it at the time. I was just like, I don't want people to die because I buy a part to the wrong specification. I mean, that was literally <laughs> black and white for me. 
So in, in, in that case, kind of like the uh, rotational program, it was just head down and do the work. Mm-hmm. I had no expectations that I would be treated special either for good or bad because of my gender. I just knew that I was working with some really smart people, most of who wanted to see me succeed. I didn't want to disappoint them or myself. And there was a job to do. Oh, yeah, right. So it, it's funny because I, I was lucky in the sense that uh, early in high school, I was in the, in French, there is a scientific uh, path in high school and you start in uh, in 11th grade. So I yep. was already one of the few women out of many, many boys. And uh, <laughs> and I was the same in, in engineering school. So when I started working, I was used to be the only woman. But just like you, what I thought was, you know what, I'm going to just go my way and do my stuff and do my work. And that's their bias. I don't care about that. I'll do my thing. And right. um, that, that's why, you know, it really relates to me. That's that idea that, you know what? Okay, you, whatever you think, what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do what I want and yeah. I'm just going to work hard to get it. So I, I like that. And um, so let, let's go to our last question, which is uh, now it's trying to spread the love, right? How, what advice would you give to young women that are just starting out in procurement and how can they best prepare for the challenges that they may face? Uh, My first piece of advice, whether you're coming right out of your undergrad program, graduate program, or you're an experienced hire, is research, study, read, ask a huge amount of questions and learn. Everyone, or at at least as a boss um, with my team, uh, everyone gets a chance to have a learning curve, but it's pretty short, right? And so study it as if it's your capstone, you know, you know, course in engineering school or whatever, or your PhD, so that you could learn and understand, because that's the best way to get credibility is that you have to know what the hell you're talking about, right? Um, I always have uh, told folks, observe someone that you respect, admire, that is respected, admired, and then have some kind of one-on-one relationship. It could be formal or informal mentoring. And ask them their questions about, all right, tell me a time when you really screwed up, how'd you handle it? Uh, When people ask me that, I'm like, well, how long you got? Because there's so many stories. But, you know, us later career folks, we want to impart, here's what I wish I did different, or here's what I did that I think ended up working, even though I didn't know it at the time. So it's prepare, 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 work hard, let your work speak for itself, but network the hell out of, you know, folks. Um, it's good when you're doing stakeholder relationship, because personally, you know, especially when you're at an, I'm, I'm an officer at FedEx and I wanted to make sure that I went and met my stakeholders in their office. I didn't summon anybody to the tower to see me. Now, let me go see you and let me first mm-hmm. get to know you as a person. Right. So, uh, back in the day, they call that sucking up. <laughs> it isn't what it is. It was, you know, I, I want to get to know Helene as a person because she's a human being and so am I. And that's how you start your connection. But, you know, you got to be curious about the other person, right? Uh, and again, um, the other piece of advice is do not ever feel you're entitled. I really can't stand entitledness, whether it's your gender or your your race, or maybe your orientation, or where you think you sh- you know what the world owes you, drives me nuts. You're entitled to nothing, <laughs> not even your job. And I think if you have that mindset, then you will work hard because it's good for you to grow, you know, emotionally, professionally, 
but you're going to learn something. And as we talked before we started the interview, you can learn something from everybody and everything. Even you can learn what not to do. Some of the best lessons I had was observing, you know, maybe someone that I worked for while they were good to me, were just really, really bad at managing relationships and you learn almost more. So you're not entitled. Um, you'll have to prove yourself every day, but the most important person that you want to please is yourself, right? You want to be proud and happy that you're doing a good job. I hope most people have that attitude, um, but really watch that entitled piece, right? And, um, you know, there will be people that have a bias, unconscious or conscious. This is the world we're in. Yeah. So you don't have to, someone said to me once, you have nothing to prove and stop acting like you do be comfortable and confident that you've done pretty well. And that was great advice for me because, you know, then, then I didn't have that chip on my shoulder. I had a chip on my shoulder once in a while, right? It happens. We're human. So, you know, making yourself happy, um, satisfying yourself first. And that by the way, is good for your family. I usually get the question, Helene, how do you choose between your work and your family? I have never been in a position to choose. And what I, what I find interesting is probably males don't get that question. Um, so maybe it's because of our traditional role years and years mm -hmm. ago, but I have recently said choosing your profession so you can grow professionally and earn really good money to support your family is not choosing your work over your job. It is choosing your, your work over your family. It is choosing your family. Yeah. Right. And, you know, not having guilt about it. I mean, guilt is a waste of time unless you deserve <laughs> to feel guilty about Absolutely. something. Right? Uh, so I have, I have two daughters, 29, 27, Emily and Natalie. Uh, Emily's a chemical engineer. Natalie is about to graduate with a, um, a graduate degree in physician. Uh, she'll be a physician associate. I'm super proud of the girls. They're both very scientific. I was not. Um, I modeled good behavior for them. I didn't know I was doing it. I had the guilt about, you know, going on this trip and the girls are little and I won't see them for 10 days. It's now I'm seeing as they're very successful in their own right, that, that there's a connection there, right? So that makes me feel really, really good. So don't waste your time on the guilt. Um, and the only person you really have to answer to yourself is, is your, you know, yourself, your family. Um, and you're not really choosing it, right? You may not want to miss the soccer game or the concert. And maybe sometimes you have to, but be very careful about that too. I have never given back one vacation day and mm -hmm. I can't remember anything significant that I've ever missed with my kid, even though, you know, all right, maybe I was on a trip and I missed the spring concert in third grade. They don't remember it anyway. Um, so feel good about what you're doing. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I have the other uh, perspective to that because I was raised by a single mom who worked full time all the time. And I never suffered from having a working mom, ever. On the contrary, she was, you know, the, the person that I, I look up to. And I want to be like her. I want to love my job and be passionate about it and have stories to tell to my kids when I go home. So that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Susan. It's Thank a you. pleasure. All righty. Happy Women's Day, everybody. <laughs>
And that's a wrap for our first episode of Alpha Males in Procurement, The Lone Road to Leadership. I hope you enjoy hearing from our guest, Susan Spence. Her insight on overcoming challenges and breaking the glass ceiling were truly inspiring. It's clear that gender inequality still exists in procurement, but we can all learn from the strategy and advice she shared. Stay tuned for our next episode where we hear from another amazing woman in procurement. Thank you for listening, everyone. Au revoir. <music>